Greetings, fellow citizens, fellow patriots, and friends. Uh, happy Labor Day weekend. We're recording this show on Saturday, September 4th, and uh, we hope that you will uh, have a good holiday weekend, though. I don't think many people even understand what Labor Day weekend is about other than it's a day off because back in the day, folks, if you can remember your grandparents probably more accurately than your parents, um, people used to work seven days a week, even six, at least six days a week, eight, 10 hours a day uh, in factories. And uh, Labor Day was a, a, day, a chance to give labor a day off, uh, a well-deserved day off. Uh, now... I don't know if you know this, but the, you know, only like 20% of Americans work a 40 hour week. Uh, the average, uh, hourly work week for Americans is like 34 hours going close, going down every year. Uh, and so, you know, we don't really need a break where our whole life is a break. We've never had it better anytime in, in the history of the species, in the history of the world. We know what has had it better than you and I have today. And uh, that's not because of communism or socialism. That's because of capitalism and free trade and uh, liberty and freedom. So welcome to all of you who are tuning in today. If you're a regular listener, thanks for coming back and thanks for telling other people about this podcast. If you're new to the podcast, thank you for uh, dialing in. I think you'll find this a lot different than uh, most podcasts you'll, you'll hear or most TV and radio news podcasts that you uh, will hear because um, we try to filter through all the propaganda and get to the uh, news that affects you. Uh, this show is about all of us defending our personal freedom, liberty, and prosperity, our nation, and our constitution, all of which are under attack, as you all know very well. And uh, and we talk about how we're going to fight back and how we're going to defend ourselves. And you're going to get a whole lot of news about that um, in this podcast. So welcome to you. I hope you'll enjoy this. Um, you'll see that I'm wearing my uh, Ohio State, uh, you know, shirt, but I, I don't want you to think that I support Ohio State University, which is a leftist commie hellhole uh, run by a bunch of people, you know, who want to destroy our nation. But I, I'm, I'm celebrating the start of the football season. And uh, those of you who've known me for a long time know that I spent the early parts of my life uh, in athletics as a coach and administrator to high school and the college level. I worked at uh, Gannon College in Erie, Pennsylvania, and Edinburgh State, where I went to school in Pennsylvania, John Carroll in Cleveland. And then I went uh, to work at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. And, um, you know, I'm just a big supporter of athletics because I call it the laboratory for the social sciences. Um, if you are a young person trying to find yourself and trying to understand how society works, sports is a great medium to teach you that. It teaches you how to get along with other people, how to work in coordination and cooperate. You know, like in football, 11 people have to all do their jobs for a play to work. And um, the left hates sports. And that's why they're trying to destroy sports. And that's why I'm really excited about the start of college football season because uh, they hate football more than anything because football teaches men how to be men. They teach, it teaches men how to be tough and how to, you know, deal with physical pain and mental pain and heartbreak, uh, how to form strong bonds that last for a lifetime. Uh, and, and it's, you know, they're trying to wussify it and, and, you know, destroy football. That's what Title IX was really all about. Uh, I've 
I've talked to you in this show before that I fought for Title IX because I coached women's basketball and women's track and women were not being treated, you know, fairly. But the left, you know, pushed Title IX because uh, football had so many scholarships because it brought in all the money and, um, and they wanted to just destroy football because it teaches men how to be men. And, uh, and they wanted us to make our men into women, which they now say is true that they can just say they're a woman, they're a woman. Um, for those of you who want to get into the details, if you go back and look at the replay, uh, on, of the Ohio State Minnesota game, uh, on Thursday night at with three minutes and 49 seconds left in the game, there's a, uh, collision a tackle that's done where a uh ohio state player tackles a wide receiver and uh the officials were looking at the idea of it targeting and we have this new thing in college sports and pro sports where they're trying to protect from head injuries and i understand that and that makes sense but it's gone way too far it's, it's actually gone to the point where it's, it's it's taking away from the game and that toughness that it develops but uh gus johnson who is a uh, a broadcaster uh in, on fox who's a, r- a really good broadcaster uh they're they're the uh officials were discussing whether this was targeting or not and the announcer the other announcer was talking about how oh, we hate to see this stuff and this kid should be thrown out of the game because that was definitely targeting blah 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 and I was really pleased to see Gus Johnson stand up and push back and say listen this is American football this is how we play the game that was there was nothing that that player did wrong that was a good football play and we've got to stop penalizing people for playing football the way it should be played and the other announcers and and the, the guy, the official who was talking about the play, were really kind of shocked. It's really cool to see. It's also cool to see last night uh, at Texas Tech, uh, Virginia Tech uh, was playing uh, North Carolina, and it was, and Virginia Tech had seventy thousand fans screaming, crazy, insane fans. None of them were wearing masks. It was awesome. It was awesome. And and you know. Uh, there was another game last night in the season. There's just great games all this weekend. So I hope you'll partake and watch young men strive to become better than, than they think they can be. Okay. It's, that's what's beautiful about college football because you can, you can believe in something and you can achieve it. Last night, uh, University of Charleston, which used to be a division two school is now one of these lower level division one schools, uh, beat Duke an ACC team uh, for their first win over a major big five conference school uh, on their home field. And to see those kids realize their dream that they, even though they weren't recruited uh, by these, you know, big schools to play them and beat them. That's what college sports is all about. And uh, so I'm wearing my shirt because I'm celebrating college football and I hope you will celebrate college football because it's really important to our culture and 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 that's how all these things are connected so enough of that um I want to go to uh, another thing before we really get the show going and this this is going to be a crazy show folks I got to tell you I don't know you know I, I try to go through the news and find all the things that I think are important to you and that you'll you know it'll help you deal with our crazy world uh but this show I I usually have quite a few videos. I only have like one video and I wasn't going to even have that until a few minutes before the show. And it's only like one minute long, but I've got a lot of stories. So, you know, we're going to just take it as it comes and we're, we're going to talk about, you know, how you got to take it as it comes. I put this out this week. I just stumbled across this video and it's, it's a video that says, talks about how 
we process information, how we remember things. And and it really was insightful to me. And I sent out a text and and an email to you guys. And if you don't get our emails or our texts, you got to go to wethepeopleconvention.org and put your phone number in and your email in. Now, the emails only get read by a fraction, like 2% of you read the emails. I, you know, only like 10% get through. And then the ones that get through only, you know, uh, so many people click on them. But the text messages, you seem to respond better. So we'll get, when I send out a text message, you know, we'll get thousands of you to go to our website in a matter of minutes. Uh, so give us your phone number because we text you a link to the emails. Okay. Anyway. This story I sent out to you and I said, uh, please watch this video, this non-political video, and it will help you understand why you're having trouble remembering things and, 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 you know, re- being able to articulate arguments to people. Okay. And, and so you'll see this image, you know, how to remember what you take in and learn from it. And it talks about information overload, distractions and multitasking, which is also important. And one of the main concepts in this video was a thing that the way your mind works and the way your mind works is as you're watching this podcast, I'm throwing a lot of things at you and it goes into what is called working memory and working memory is very limited in your brain, very limited, but it has to go into working memory first, and then you've got to keep it there and think about it for a little while, and then it moves to long-term memory, and that's where ideas and concepts are developed that you can then rearticulate. So the problem is on social media and on this show, the stories are just coming at you like this, and so that working memory, which they said is only two to four slots, you fill it up, And then if you don't process it long enough, it never gets to long-term memory and it gets replaced by something else. And so that's why when you're done, you go, yeah, I remember Tom saying this, but I can't really remember what it is. So I'm going to remind you during the podcast and going forward, I'm going to say, after I do something pretty complicated, I'm going to say, okay, pause the podcast. Just stop. And then take a second and think about what I just talked to you about. And if you have to, go replay it because that's how you also build long-term memory. And then go on with the podcast after you're done with that. And and if you go to our podcast page at wethepeopleconvention.org, you will see that we list the whole program with times for each story that we do. So after you watch the podcast, you can you know, give it up for a while, come back the next day or later that day and click on that story that you really were interested in, but you just can't remember the details and just listen to that again. And this story, this, this video that I, I, you know, shared with you helps you with these other techniques so that we can start to, you know, really manage this multimedia and, and crazy social media world, which is really just destroying your ability to learn and make decisions and be informed because it's constant, it's clickbait. Look at this, look at that, look at this, look at that. You, you, all you hear is words and you're not getting understanding and you're not able then to make decisions about what you've learned because all you can do is parrot back the stuff they've packaged for you that they want you to think you believe and know. It's all a lie. So we're not going to do that on this podcast. We're going to use these techniques to our advantage because we do this show so we will be informed. 
okay and and so i want you to watch that video and then we can you know it'll it'll be helpful to you as we go through the show now as you know we've been opening our show every week uh last month or so uh, talking about the political prisoners, and we've got some really important news about them uh, this week that I need to talk to you about. Um, you know, it, it's just wrong for those of you who haven't been following, you know, the political prisoners from the January 6th uh, protests at the Capitol and how how criminally they're being treated. These guys and, and gals have been in solitary confinement for over six months now with, you know, no due process, no, you know, no uh, humane conditions. It's, it's just been horrible. And uh, we've been writing to the prisoners. Uh, those of you who want to write to the prisoners, you can go to patriotmailproject.com. Patriotmailproject.com. Again, the link for that is on our podcast page uh, after I post the podcast. And um, you you can you know, write to them. And many of you have been getting letters back from these prisoners. They really appreciate your encouragement, uh, just knowing that someone cares about them. So thank you for that. Um, but we, we've started our podcast with a moment of silence, and I want to do that now. I want you to say a prayer for these prisoners, these political prisoners, to for God to give them strength and courage, and, and for God to give us the, the, the ability, the wisdom, the way out to get them released. So just take a second and say a short prayer. Regardless of what your faith is, you know, we can pray for these, these patriots. Okay, thank you for doing that, because I need more prayers than ever. Uh, there was a very disturbing story that I posted uh, last uh, this earlier this week after our show last week, and this story just angers me beyond belief, and uh, it's really a concern. Um, Go-to lawyer for January 6th political prisoners mysteriously disappears. What? The mysterious disappearance of lawyer John Pierce began last Tuesday, prosecutors say, when he missed a hearing for one of the many cases where he is representing a defendant in the Capitol riot investigation. Now, this story that I posted on WeThePeopleConvention.org was written by the New York Times. And I got some of you who wrote back after I send this out saying, what a piece of crap. Why did you put that on our, our your website? Why did you write that? Well, I didn't write it. We don't write most of the stuff on our website. We aggregate news for you, okay? So take this with a grain of salt. I ended up going back into the story and annotating it with some things like, yeah, the New York Times, here's a lie they said. But again, they're calling it uh, the Capitol riot investigation. It wasn't a riot. wasn't an insurrection. It's a protest. Um, he said... Uh, when he missed the hearing for one of the many cases where he's representing a defendant in the Capitol riot investigations, the young associate who took his place said that Mr. Pierce had a conflict. At the time, no one seemed to give much mind. But in the days that followed, Mr. Pierce, who was defending more cases connected to the riots than any other lawyer. So he's representing, I think it's like 30 of them. Uh, missed additional hearings, and the reason for his absence started changing. On Wednesday, his associates told a judge in one case that Mr. Pierce had gotten COVID-19 and was in the hospital on a ventilator, but only after telling a prosecutor in another case that Mr. Pierce had been in a car accident. The same evening, a different associate told a reporter that Mr. Pierce had in fact been hospitalized but was getting care for dehydration, dehydration exhaustion. 
Finally, on Monday, after Mr. Pierce had still failed to emerge, the government got involved. Federal prosecutors issued letters to several judges in 17 capital riot cases, informing them that no one in the Justice Department had heard from Mr. Pierce in a week and that multiple phone numbers for his law firm appeared to have been disconnected. His criminal cases had come to a standstill, the prosecutor said, endangering the rights of his clients. If Mr. Pierce did not surface soon, they added something, though it's not clear what would have to be done. The New York Times tried to reach Mr. Pierce several times uh, by text and phone in recent days, but did not respond. Wow. So this is the story. There's more to this story. If you go to our website, who is representing these people? This is so tragic. You know, people are saying to me, well, how come they, you know, can't, you know, plead for habeas corpus, the right to a, 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 you know, a speedy trial and a fair trial and all that? They can't even get legal representation. This is the guy that's representing them. And, and, and the lawyer that's representing the, the guy, um, who's, uh, you know, the QAnon shaman guy with the horns, he took a plea deal this Friday and his lawyer's a whack job and he's going to get more time than he should get. Because the guy had mental problems, and, and the court should recognize it. But they, they're gonna—they may sentence him to four years in prison for doing what? He didn't break anything. He just walked through in a costume. That's against the law. They're forcing these prisoners to take plea deals because, again, they're gonna hold you in prison without a trial until you plea. Let's have a trial. Let's have a defense. But how are you gonna have a defense without a lawyer? So, so last week, and again, why was no, I have not seen this story on any conservative newscast? On any conservative newscast, not ONN, not Newsmax, not Breitbart. What the hell? This is outrageous. So, so my problem is, last week I talked to you and said, if you go to uh, you know the. Uh, you know, the prisoners, the, the page with, you know, Patriot Mail Project, they list their defense funds so you can donate. And I know people, like many of you are donating to the prisoners. But now I'm concerned about where the money's going. If this guy was representing a bunch of them and he can't be found, do we really want to send them money? I, I've been trying. I, honestly, folks, we've tried. We, we're trying to find lawyers to represent these guys have been for months and have been frustrated. So please pray, pray for these people. They are just being terrorized by our own federal government. So, so this leads me to something I also need you to pray about because I'm, I'm not sure what to do here. I, I, it was so strange last Saturday after I posted the podcast because all this stuff started coming at me that I had no idea about that was so important. And, 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 um, and I sent it out to you. So I want to review it because I'm not sure you got it. This story came out and I was just stunned. Uh, you know, a, a group filed a complaint with UN for treatment of January 6th prisoners. Uh, LAA CAP filed a complaint with UN Human Rights Committee demanding sanctions against key Biden regime officials for treatment of January 6th prisoners. So this story is on our website, okay, at wethepeopleconvention.org. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. I'm going to read you a press release, okay? Uh, at a press conference at the United Nations in New York, Look Ahead America, a group I'd never heard of before, and Citizens Against Political Persecution will present a joint letter to the United Nations Human Rights Committee to investigate and demand relief for the Biden administration's January 6th political prisoners. From the complaint, 
Today, I write in support of basic human rights for a specific group of Americans who have been disparately and inhumanely treated by their government, singled out, imprisoned, and even physically abused because of their political beliefs. As outlined herein, uh, look, look Ahead America has sought relief from several members of the United States government, as well as other U.S.-based human rights advocacy groups. We have been largely ignored, and human rights violations continue unabated, with no relief in sight. Those avenues exhausted in recognition of the United Nations' long and prestigious history of human rights advocacy, we ask for your review and consideration of these prisoners' plights. From Matt Brainyard, Executive Director of Look Ahead America, he then made this following statement. Not only do we urge the United Nations to investigate this abuse of human rights, but we ask that other governments hold U.S. officials to the same standards U.S. US officials have held others around the world. Just as the U.S. government has imposed sanctions on foreign leaders whom they allege have fallen short of international norms, we urge government around, governments around the world to impose travel restrictions and financial penalties against President Biden, Attorney General Merrick Garland, FBI Director Christopher Wray, and other government officials who are, who are involved in this gross violation of human rights. How about that for a statement? Kara Castronovo, Castron. OVA, Executive Director of Citizens Against Political Prosecution, made this statement. We here at Citizens Against Political Prosecution have been fighting for the January 16th detainees for months now. The government continues to unconstitutionally detain our fellow American citizens, and we feel that submitting this letter to the United Nations is the next logical step towards justice. Hopefully, the United Nations hears our plea, and we are the voices of unheard political prisoners right now who are not able to speak for themselves. Now, folks, you got to read the complaint. It's on our website. I put a link to it in the story, but then I actually put the entire 15-page appeal to the UN Human Rights Committee on our webpage at this you know story uh, that's got this graphic on it, okay? Why? Because this is the most clear, clearly articulated defense of these prisoners we've seen anywhere. Because what? The media hasn't asked them to get, nobody's interviewed, you know, like NBC did the interview with the cop who murdered Ashley uh, Babbitt last week. They haven't done an interview with these prisoners to say, what's your side of the story? No one's asked their side of the story. Not even Republican, you know, congressmen and senators. Nobody. So this, when you read this and you need to read this and you need to share this because your fellow citizens, you don't even know what's going on. And I know I got people who wrote when I said this out, I hate the UN. We should get out of the UN. You know, yeah, I got it. I got it. Listen, folks, you got to understand how to play the game. Do you see how smart Matt was in his statement about saying we want foreign governments to sanction Biden and the Biden administration and, and ban travel to their countries like we do? They're using the left's crap against them. See how they're doing it? It's brilliant. I wrote to Matt and Kara and said, thank you for doing this. I had I had been working for a month. We were trying to go to the world court in The Hague because my thoughts were prisoners, you know, uh, you know, this is where they, they do war crimes and things. 
and we couldn't figure out how to do a, a court filing there, never thinking of going to the UN Human Rights Commission, this is going to embarrass the left like nothing because Barack Obama, like he said, traveled the world telling America, uh, the world how bad America was. You know what? Only because of democratic policies. Only because you lock up political prisoners like you're doing right now. So here's what I need you to pray about because I'm not sure what to do. So I contacted the people who filed this. And I said, I asked them for permission that if we paid for it with your donations, that if we paid for it to be published in the Washington Times, would they allow us to do that? And they said yes. So I went to the Washington Times and, and asked them if they would publish this document. Now, again, it looks like a legal brief. And, and to me, there's no reason it shouldn't be published. But their editorial people didn't want to do it. Okay, so now they've made a proposal for us to do something where it would be printed like in an insert that would be a separate document, which I kind of like because, now again, why do I want to be in the Washington Times? Because they deliver their paper to every congressional office and every federal uh, bureaucracy, all right, all the departments of the federal government and the White House. I want to stick this case right in their face. That's why I want to get it printed. Okay, and so that's why I want to be in the paper, newspaper. But now they're suggesting that we take a couple ads out of, in the newspaper to point to their website where they would print the whole thing, okay, and then they would do some other stuff to help us get it out to hundreds of thousands of, the, of these people who think they're so righteous when they're so wrong. The problem is it's going to cost us a ton of money. And I, and, I, and I have to think about that and, and about, you know, being fiscally prudent. Is this what we, is this important for us to do in the scope of all the other things we're doing, like the barn billboard program and stuff? Uh, so read this and then, and then write to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org and tell me whether you think that, you know, filing with the UN Human Rights Commission, should, that we should spend tens of thousands of dollars to get that out there, okay? That's big money for us. We're not a huge organization. We don't have millions of dollars. We've never had a million dollars over our entire history, okay? So tens of thousands of dollars is big money to us, all right? So I want you to do that because I think it's really important. But most of all, I think you'll be informed, okay? Now, here's a perfect example. I just said at the beginning of the show, I just talked to you about a complex concept. Hit pause, stop the podcast right now, and then think about what I said. Maybe go read that article and then pick up the podcast, right? So that you will not just hear what I said, but be able to get it into your long-term memory and understand the, the concept and the principle that we're standing on about how do we fight for freedom and liberty for these prisoners, okay? First time I've used that, I hope, hope some of you are doing that. And if you're coming back, welcome back. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the more, you know, traditional issues in this week. And this was, uh, you know, the, the, the fiasco in Afghanistan, the, the horrible embarrassment, the disaster, the American, you know, tragedy uh, that was the uh, whole, you know, Biden 
Afghanistan blunder. Uh, Byron York is someone who I, I trust. There's not many people that I trust. He writes for the Washington Examiner. He, um, you know, the guy has good sense. He's never been a propagandist to me. He has sources and methods. I, I respect the guy. So he kind of wrote a little summary, and I'm just going to share some of that with you. Um, the ugly end we all saw coming. Uh, at 9.05 Monday night, State Department spokesman Ned Price issued a plaintive message to the new rulers of Afghanistan. The Taliban needs to meet its commitments and obligations in Afghanistan, Price tweeted. Those commitments and obligations include respecting freedom of travel, safeguarding the basic rights of the people, engaging in counterterrorism, and not carrying out reprisal violence against those who stayed in Afghanistan and forming an inclusive government. Byron York says, who is he kidding? Here is a quick answer. No one. The Taliban is not going to do those things. And that's that's just the bottom line to this whole challenge that we have with what Biden's done. They're trying to tell us that this sixth century, just completely crazy group of religious fanatics are going to act like European governments. They're fools. They're absolute fools. And um and so Byron York goes on to say, the more immediate question is, what about the Americans still in Afghanistan after the last plane left Kabul? Uh, you know, and there were some real, you know, specific discussions about how many people were there. And the military efforts uh, to remove Americans and many more Afghans is over. But while it's complete, there's all these citizens that are still there. And, you know, and there the Biden administration is acting like, oh, yeah. The, the Taliban is just going to treat them like tourists or something, right? It's completely absurd. And we're already seeing videos of people being killed, you know, beheaded, what, what have you. And so it's it's just, it's just unbelievable, okay, what happened. And then, and then out of this comes all this other stuff that just shows that this, the, they claim they they wanted to change the narrative. The, the, you saw it. You saw the bait and switch. The 20-year war in Afghanistan is over. Joe Biden brought the war to an end. Anybody who thinks this war is over is a fool. You just gave them $85 billion worth of weapons to a terrorist group who believes if you don't convert to their version of the Muslim faith, their distorted vision of the Muslim faith, they have to kill you. You think that's going to end? We'll be fighting this war for another 20 years because of what Joe Biden did. We had a chance under Trump for not, us not to have to fight that war, for the Afghan people to fight that war, but because of the Biden administration's insane actions and their woke non-generals, we're going to be fighting this war for 20 years and more, and lots more people are going to die, starting with people in Afghanistan. So, okay, we said we're going to bring all these people out, right? State Department admits that the majority of Afghanistan, Afghans and SIVs who helped us, who helped us did not evacuate. So who are these 116,000 Afghans we did evacuate? According to the data provided by the U.S. State Department in the last few days, the total number of people evacuated from Kabul, Kabul airport was 122,000. Of those, only 6,000 
were American citizens, and 116,000 were Afghan refugees. Today, the State Department admits the majority of the qualified Afghan people who assisted the U.S. during the operations in Afghanistan, Afghan Special Immigrant Visas, that's SIV, applicants did not get evacuated. So who the heck are those 116,000 people that we evacuated? It's just not some, uh, you know, uh, there are multiple reports of exactly the same thing. According to the Wall Street Journal, the U.S. left behind the majority of Afghan interpreters and others who applied for visas to flee Afghanistan. A senior State Department official said on Wednesday, despite frantic efforts to evacuate those at risk uh, of Taliban retribution in the final weeks of the airlift, we didn't get it done. So, of the 160,000 Afghans were evacuated and 7,000 of them were SIV applicants, you know, who were the rest of these people? And how are we vetting them? And the answer is, we're not vetting them. We're literally bringing them into other countries with no idea who the hell they are. And a lot of them are going to be terrorists. But here, here's, but the, here's the best part and the worst part. You know, the best part meaning, you know, how bad this is, okay? Uh, there's a story in Just the News about um, the, uh, the, the whole idea of where, you know, what was Biden really doing? He was telling us, oh, you know, nobody's going to, you know, the, the Taliban's under uh, control. You know, Kabul's not going to fall, blah, blah, blah. So Just the News released this story. Evidence mounts that Biden manufactured weeks-long false narrative on Afghanistan. Canceled congressional report requests to Afghan president to peddle a story whether it's true or not, raise alarm, and talk of impeachment. The long saga of the Russia collusion scandal during which law enforcement, media, political operatives, and intelligence assets manufactured a two-year illusion of Trump-Russia conspiracy that did not exist. Two years, my butt. How about four to six years? Raise questions about a new era of political warfare in which false realities could be foisted upon the American public. The bungled, bloody U.S. exit from Afghanistan now has some fearing the Biden administration practiced deception by omission and commission to create a two-month false narrative that misled Congress and, and the American public by making the situation in and around Kabul look better than it was. Two powerful pieces of evidence emerged this week that strongly suggest that Afghan exit just wasn't just a case of incompetence, but rather an intentional effort to use PR lipstick to disguise a Biden plan that was secretly willing to accept chaos and stranded Americans as a possible outcome to avoid further military casualties during the exit. Now, many of you called me out last week by writing to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org and saying, Tom, you keep saying Biden's incompetent and they're fools, and it was intentional. And I wrote back and said, you're right. I didn't do a good job last week of making it clear that this was intentional. It was intentional. And here's the proof of that, okay? Uh on Wednesday, Reuters published a leaked transcript of a call that quoted Biden asking the soon-to-flee Afghan president, Ashraf Ghani, to offer a narrative to change the perception of the Taliban rapid advance in Afghanistan, whether it is true or not. He, Biden said, I need not tell you the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. Biden is quoted as telling the Afghan president. And there is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. In other words, Biden's telling the Afghan president to lie. 
The White House did not dispute the account of the July 23rd call, even though it suggested an American president asked a foreign leader to assist in creating a potential fake story. Potential fake story? When this call was being made, you could look at a map of Afghanistan and see the Taliban taking each province as they go, surrounding Kabul. Potential. The, um, earlier this week, Biden administration officials also conceded the president granted himself a waiver to avoid providing Congress this summer a legally required report on the dangers of withdrawing from Afghanistan, leaving lawmakers mostly in, dar- in the dark about a situation in which U.S. confidence in the Afghan government and, mil- and military rapidly deteriorated. One act of commission, another act of omission that clearly created false expectations and impressions and empowered the president's top aides from Jen Psaki to John Kirby at the Pentagon to make pronounces like, every American who wants to come home will be able to do so by August 31st. Every Afghan loyalist in danger could be evacuated. The Afghan army could hold Kabul for months after U.S. departure. In the end, None of those pronouncements were true, and the plan failed, and they didn't say them because they were misinformed. Those are outright lies that the leftist, commie, Democrat, woke Biden regime looked in the camera and looked you in the face and lied to you and killed 13 of our young service members. This was an accident, folks. It was intentional. In the end, none of these pronouncements were true and the plan failed. Scores of Americans, thousands of Afghan loyalists, and $85 billion in prized U.S. military hardware were left behind. Kabul fell to the Taliban before America's departure, and 13 U.S. troops were killed in the single bloodiest American tragedy of the Afghan war in a decade. Republican and Democrat lawmakers alike are now declaring they felt deceived by Biden and his team. This admission, uh, uh, this administration has lied to the American people, to Congress, and to the world. Representative Kat Kamak from Florida told Justin News on Wednesday, I can't begin to tell you how frustrated I have been, been by this you know, omission. That's impeachable. The phone call from Trump to Ukraine saying you need to investigate this money that we sent you, that wasn't impeachable. This is an impeachable offense, and any Democrat that won't vote for impeachment should be thrown out. They should be impeached. But the bottom line is they're hypocrites, and they're liars. The evidence is in. It's just ridiculous. So what's the results? What does this all mean? What does this mean in real human terms, okay? Here, here's the result. This is a story that you didn't see because no one wants to cover it. You know, it's just garbage. The day the music died. Roughly 50 years ago, Don McLean released his song American Pie with his famous line about the day the music died. It was a reference to when Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. Richardson died along with pilot Roger Peterson in an airplane crash, um, you know, where they, you know, the music died. The Afga- for the Afghans, the day the music died co- coincided with the Taliban takeover of their country. Nothing drove home that fact more than the horrific killing of Afghan folk singer Fawad Andar Abi, who was executed by the Taliban for playing music. He was executed by the Taliban for playing music. The singer's son said the Taliban came to their farm and shot his father in the head. They targeted him because of his fame for playing the ginshak, which is a Afghan like a, a, a fiddle or violin, a, a, 
a, a bowed lute is what it's called, and preserving the traditional songs about his country. He was preserving Afghan music tradition. They shot him in his head. Well, the Taliban told the media it would investigate. Get this. Well, the Taliban told the media it would investigate. Taliban spokesman, um, whatever his name is, emphasized that music is forbidden in Islam. Just days before he announced to the media that music was banned. It was one of the first things the Taliban did after retaking power. Music was also banned under the Taliban rule from 1996 to 2001. Feeling good about that? Feeling good about that, lefties? You feeling good about the fact? That uh, this man was executed. He didn't even break the law. They just said music was banned. He wasn't playing any music. They shot him in the head for the music he played before. Yeah, we did that. We left him behind. We abandoned the Afghans. We abandoned the Afghan military, which we spent 20 years preparing to fight. If we keep uh, the Abram Air Force Base, okay, if we keep the base there and we provide... Uh, air cover for the Afghan army using this $85 billion worth of equipment, they could have held out the Taliban. Joe Biden threw it all away. He threw it all away. And that's why we need to throw Joe Biden away. And you're all moving towards that. New poll, U.S. withdrawal from Afghan was so badly handled that President Joe Biden should resign because of it, according to a majority of voters. However, most don't think Vice President Kamala Harris is qualified to replace Biden if he leaves office. A new Rasmussen reports uh, national telephone online survey finds that 52% of likely U.S. voters believe Biden should resign because of the way the U.S. withdrawal from Afghan was handled. 39% disagree and 9% are not sure. So that's how you feel about it, right? That's what you think about it. And uh, you can see in this real clear politics poll that you know Biden's approval ratings are finally down in the low 40s and falling fast because people understand this guy is an incompetent and an evil person, okay? So again, you know, I don't want to just say he's incompetent because we know we just proved it's intentional. So he's, he is incompetent. He's also evil. And he's also mentally incapable of being the commander-in-chief. So how about calls for impeachment? We'll see. Lots of people are calling for it. Uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Okay. Going to go on to another story that was a big deal here, and I want to make an important point, and this is about Hurricane Ida. Hurricane Ida leaves indelible mark on Louisiana, and what's really weird about this is everybody was predicting another Katrina because this is a Category 4 hurricane that hit New Orleans, right? So everybody's thinking, Katrina, Katrina, Katrina. You know how many people died in New Orleans? Two. You know how many people died in New Orleans in Katrina? 1,800. Now, what's weird about this story is it marched up the East Coast. It came across like Tennessee and then headed east, and where it killed everybody was in New York. And, uh, you know, Meredith, water poured into subway tunnels as catastrophic flooding, which scientists have warned likely will be more common with man-made global warming, came to the America's largest city. Again, this is a lie. This is a blatant lie. So here's the left trying to use human tragedy to sell a flawed idea, which is basically to kill capitalism, not to save the planet. So here's what this article says. Water poured into subway tunnels as catastrophic flooding, which scientists have warned likely will be more common with man-made global warming, came to America's cities. I'm going to show you that's a blatant lie. And here's the king liar in New York, 
we are enduring a historic weather event tonight with record-breaking rain across the city, brutal flooding, and dangerous conditions on our roads. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio said while declaring a state of emergency in New York City on Wednesday. So what happened is they weren't prepared. People went into their basements and the flooding flooded the basements and people drowned. Okay, that's called stupid human tricks. That's not called global warming. Okay, but here's the truth about global warming. And, and I want you to look at this graph because you'll see that the deaths from natural disasters from, 2000, from 1900 to 2016 are almost nothing. They're almost down to zero. And this graph comes from a book that I want to share with you that's really cool. And I just got this book, and, I, and you may be interested in it. So let me show you this book that I got. It's called 10 Global Trends Every Smart Person Should Know. Okay, so in this book, every page is like a, a graph. Every page has like graphs on it that talk about all these misconceptions that supposedly smart, smart people have. But what's really cool about this book, and that's where that graph came from, is that they made it into a tabletop book because they wanted people to just pick it up and it's in these little, you know, literally one page each topic that you can learn something about population, about poverty, about disease, about you know, uh, uh, environmental damage and all that stuff. And the fact of the matter is, this, this book is called 10 Global Trends. Uh, that every smart person should uh, know, all right? Only cost, I don't know, I think it costs like 18 bucks. But you put it out on your card table or, or your, your your table in your living room, and when people come to visit, they take a look at it and they learn something. Very smart way to do this. But here's here's what it says that on the page where this graph was presented. The chances of a person dying in a natural catastrophe, earthquake, flood, drought, storm, wildfire, landslide, epidemic, has declined by nearly 99% since 1920s and 1930s. People today are much more likely to survive natural disasters because of increased wealth and technological progress. Buildings are better constructed to survive earthquakes. Weather satellites and sophisticated computer, computer models provide early storm warnings that give people time to prepare and evacuate. And broad disease surveillance enables swift medical intervention to halt developing epidemics. 99%. But Bill de Blasio wants you to think this is historic. And again, just use the Katrina. In, in, in whatever, 20 years since Katrina, we went from 1,800 people died to two. That's called progress. That's not called global warming, right? And so why is that? Well, because we rebuilt New Orleans. New Orleans was, an, was a piece of crap. All these old, terrible buildings when Katrina came, they all got wiped out. Your tax dollars, our federal money, helped rebuild Katrina to make it easier to resist this. Don't get me wrong. A Cat 4 hurricane is a serious thing. And lots of property damage was done. And, and two people died there, and 40-some died in New York. And that's a tragedy. But it's not what they're selling you. And that's why this book was important. And that's why I want to make this point to you. Okay? So, again, you might want to stop, think about this, and start playing again while we move on to our next topic. Okay, 
Big news this week that got the left's heads exploding was the Supreme Court issued a ruling allowing the heartbeat bill in Texas to go in effect in a 5-4 vote uh, with Roberts siding with the liberals. The Supreme Court said that the you know, court, um, the high court refused to stop the law while the legal fight uh, continues. The majority said its decision is not based on any conclusion about the constitutionality of Texas law and in no way limits uh, other uh, procedural proper challenges to the Texas law, including in Texas state co- courts. So here's what I want you to understand. The left is like, oh my gosh, this is the end of Roe v. Wade, and it's the end of the world, and we told you, and, and you know, and, and the four judges that Trump appointed, you know, are, are the, the key to this thing, or the three judges are the key to this thing. Yeah, but not so fast. You know, this court still didn't r- rule against Roe v. Wade. They didn't even say they agree with this this heartbeat bill. They just ruled that the, they, Texas has a right to do it, okay? But what are they trying to do? They're trying to gin up their people, right? Because they're failing on the border, on foreign policy, economically, with COVID. Are they failing bad enough with that? So what do they want to do? Don't look at that stuff. Abortion, abortion. They're taking away your right to choose. Here's what they don't understand. Younger people today, are against abortion. Younger people today don't think killing babies is a good thing. And so the left is, is completely wrong about this. And, and the whole move is, is to, because of technology, because people can see what a baby looks like. They know it's a baby. It's not a blob. It's not a bunch of cells. So again, the left is just using this for cover, but don't be you know confused. This is not as big of a, a win as, as we would like it to be, okay? I just I just want to make that point. Yes, I love the heartbeat bill. It makes sense. If you can hear a heartbeat, my goodness. You know, you certainly should, uh, you know, you should be able to say that's a baby. Okay, here's some more good news here. I like this one too. 20 states sue to block Biden's sexual orientation, gender identity rules for schools. Uh, state suits challenge the U.S. Department of Education and Equal Opportunity Commission Actions governing discrimination on the basis of sex. 20 states are suing the Biden administration to show, uh, to stop new regulations governing sex and gender discrimination in schools, calling the rules sweeping interventions of law, sweeping inventions, not interventions, inventions of law outside the constitutional process. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost joined other attorney generals in the lawsuit, which challenges the U.S. Department of Education and Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's actions governing discrimination on the basis of sex. Rule by administrative overreach may be seen convenient, but tossing the process, uh, but tossing the process our Constitution requires will inevitably trample the liberties of our most vulnerable, said Yost. I will always defend the rights of our citizens to be part of the legislative process and work to stop the abuses of the recalcitrant administrative state determined to bypass them. Yost said the lawsuit challenges the Department of Education's interpretation of Title IX, saying it applies not only to the discrimination on the basis of sex, but also implies also applies to non-discretion discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Let me say that again. This is so important because most of people in our country, because the left has pretended, thinks that transgenderism, gender identity, is a protected class. It is not. Yost said, 
the, the, the lawsuit challenges the interpretation of Title IX, saying it applies not only to the discrimination on the basis of sex, but also applies to non-discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Yo said the lawsuit does not question the policy, but rather the authority of those departments to make that interpretation. The lawsuit also challenged what Yo's called a recent interpretation of the Supreme Court ruling by the Equal Employment Commission, saying that the EOC does not have the power to redefine law. Law, right? So it's not the law. They're pretending it's the law. Gender identity is not a protected class and it must never become a protected class. Okay, next story. This is big. Joe Manchin crushes Democrat dreams and leads the far left in panic mode. I've often been heard uh, hard on Senator Joe Manthe for good reason. Too often in the past, he's presented himself as an unshakable moderate in order to keep his seat in deep red West Virginia, while at the same time folding on major issues when he goes to Washington. However, I have to give him credit. Under immense pressure from the far left of his party, including leadership, Manchin appears to be stiffening his spine. Today, Manchin penned an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal announcing that he's not going to go along with the massive irresponsible, freedom-crushing, $3.5 trillion reconciliation budget proposed by the Democrats. Instead, he's urging a pause in order to pare things down. This is what uh, Manchin said. I, for one, won't support a $3.5 trillion bill or anywhere near that level of additional spending without greater clarity about why Congress chooses to ignore the serious effects inflation and debt have on existing government programs. He said, the nation faces an unprecedented array of challenges and will inevitably encounter additional crisis in the future. Yet some in Congress have a strange belief there is an infinite supply of money to deal with any current or future crisis and that spending trillions upon trillions will have no negative consequences for the future. I disagree. An overwhelming, uh, an overheated economy has imposed a costly inflation tax on every middle and working class American. Biden's inflation tax, right? At two point, at twenty eight point seven trillion and growing, the nation's debt has reached record levels over the past eighteen months. We've spent more than five trillion responding to the cor- uh, coronavirus pandemic. Now, Democratic congressional leaders propose to pass the largest single spending bill in history, with no regards to rising inflation, crippling debt, or an in- or the inevitable future crises. Ignoring the fiscal consequences of our policy choice will create a disastrous future for the next generations of Americans. Whoa. It also doesn't appear he'll be standing alone as Senator Kristen Simina continues in Arizona to down the reconciliation bill as well. Folks, so my question was, why was Jim Jordan telling me this is a done deal? I don't think this is a done deal. So again, we got to keep fighting. We got so we to stop this. And the Republicans can stop it, particularly if you got Manchin and Simina. Stop it. Call them. Make them stop. And again, you know, why? Because here's here's the problem. Here's the jobs report that came out. And then we're going to take a break. U.S. added just 235,000 jobs in August compared to 700,000 predicted with the Delta surge undermining economic growth. And, and so the, this is the big story that people are not going back because the left keeps incentivizing them not to go back and scaring you not to go out to restaurants and stores and retail places with you're going to die from COVID. They're causing this. It's unbelievable. 
But here's a little part that you know people miss on this, right? So this was, I mean, again, I love this. You know, with, with the experts, right? Economists predicted seven hundred thousand, and only two hundred thirty-five thousand jobs are created. How good are these economists, right? You didn't miss by like five percent or ten percent. You missed by sixty-six percent. You know, people want to ask why have we lost faith in our institutions? That's why they're never right. Why should we trust them? It's insane. But here's the little underbelly that no one wants to talk about. Charles Payne, who the left attacked, who's on Fox Business, and they tried to get him fired for some trumped up, bogus, you know, sexual, uh, you know, uh, you know, issue. A couple of years, last year it was. He's still there, thank God. He tweeted, "Jobs report disaster. Details are even more disappointing." Black unemployment rates surged to 8.8% from 8.2%. This would be a top story if Trump were in office, but won't be mentioned anywhere today. Zero leisure jobs, 3,000 less construction jobs, and 28,500 retail jobs dropped. Okay? The people that supposedly voted for Biden... Right? All those black voters, you ain't you ain't black if you don't vote for me, Joe Biden. Yeah, he's screwing you to the wall. Right? He's keeping you on the government plantation, y'all. Who wants to put you in chains? Yeah, Joe Biden's putting black people in economic chains. Here, take this $300 check and don't get a job so we own you. Because we can take your check away anytime we want. If you got a job, you can tell us to go screw ourselves. Get it? Yeah. We're not getting it. At least some people aren't getting it. You listen to this podcast, get it. That's for sure. All right. Got to take a break here. Been going on a long time. Uh, you're listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski. The We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We the People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We the People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. All right, and we're back, and we thank you for uh, joining us uh, for the second half of the show. And again, that was the longest first half of a show I've ever done. I thought what I shared with you was important. That's why you got to take it in pieces. We've got a lot more information coming, some very important stories, but I just felt on this holiday weekend, you'll have an extra day. You can consume it in bites and bits because my job is to let you know what affects you, what impacts your freedom, liberty, and prosperity in our nation, and I'm going to do that job. And if it takes a little longer, that's what I got to do. You don't have to do it start to finish. You can take it in pieces, right? Okay, so let's pick up on now, you know, the big other thing is coronavirus, 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 okay? And and last week, I shared this video with you guys, and I actually called the FDA saying they approved uh, the vaccine as bullcrap. And I had someone call me out and say, it's not bullcrap. They did approve the Pfizer vaccine. And, and I... So on that story where I posted this video, which is a very interesting video from this woman who worked for Pfizer for 20 years, she, in fact, says they did 
they did approve the Pfizer vaccine, but it's not really that clear cut. Okay. So I put a link in our podcast page last week that said, correction, the FDA did approve the Pfizer vaccine, dot, 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 kind of. Okay. So let me just share this with you. You may have heard that the Pfizer COVID-19 shot received FDA approval this past Monday. Politicians, national health officials, and journalists are breathless with excitement about how this approval will finally induce the remaining vaccine hesitant into stepping forward to receive their jab. The FDA even had a press release on its website about it. There's just one problem. If you read the actual letters the FDA sent to Pfizer on August 23rd, you'll see that the FDA did not did no such thing. In the sense that the term FDA approval is generally understood, this drug is not approved by the FDA. It is still under emergency use authorization. It is still an experimental drug. They go on to explain. The FDA sent two letters. The first one was a letter to biological license application approval, and the second was a letter to the emergency use authorization extension of Cormirnaty, C-O-M-I-R-N-A-T-Y. That's the name they want to give their COVID drug. What a horrible name. The, the, the uh, biologic license application approval letter pr- approves Pfizer's application for a license to label its COVID-19 drug with the brand name Cormoranatity. This letter also spells out the terms and requirements for nine additional clinical trials over four, over five years and yearly status reports to study the acknowledged occurrence of myocarditis and pericarditis that have followed the administering of the Pfizer shots. This license to label and manufacture is not a full approval of the drug, which clearly is still subject to many years of clinical trials. The EAU extension letter extends the term of the EAU for the current drug and authorizes licenses that experimental use of the brand name Cormornati, Cormornati, okay? So did they really approve it or not? I don't think so. I think they're playing games because the trials for the experimental drugs don't finish till 2023, okay? So take it for what you will. Whether they approved it or not, there's still serious things wrong, okay? And so here's what here's one of the things that's seriously wrong. Who's really being hospitalized? The mainstream media is reporting that severe COVID cases are mainly among unvaccinated people. And the Associated Press headline from June 29th reads, nearly all COVID deaths in the U.S. are now among unvaccinated. Another from the same date, vast majority of ICU patients with COVID-19 are unvaccinated, okay? Is that what's really going on? It's certainly not the case in Israel, the first country to fully vaccinate a majority of its citizens against the virus. Now it has one of the highest daily infection rates and the majority of people catching the virus, 73 to 83%, depending on age, are already vaccinated. According to data collected by the Israeli government, in fact, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has publicly acknowledged that they do not have accurate data. Why not? What are we paying you all this money for? Huh? What are we paying all this money for? The CDC itself has not estimated what percentage of hospitalizations and death are in fully vaccinated people, citing limitations in the data. So why is media saying this? Why is Biden saying this? Why is the, the CDC saying this? They, they're saying themselves, they don't have the data. At the same time, data collection is done on a state-by-state basis. In most states, a person is only considered fully vaccinated 14 days after they had the full series of vaccines. This means that anyone coming into an American hospital who has had only one dose 
or has been both that and has or has had both vaccines but had the second one less than two weeks prior will be counted as unvaccinated. They're vaccinated. That's just garbage. Dr. Peter McCullough, an academic internist and cardiologist, many of you have watched his video on our website, is like the most popular thing. I'm surprised. Every day, hundreds of people are watching the video on our website for Dr. McCullough. Just go to the search box, search on Dr. McCullough. Uh, an academic internist and cardiologist in practice in Dallas, Texas, says that a large number of people in hospitals right now have indeed been fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated people are being hospitalized, and 19% of them have died. This is not a crisis of the unvaccinated. That is just a talking point. The vaccinated are participating in this. Okay, the other horrible, just disgusting thing that happened this this week, folks, and this month, but it really came out this week, was this lie that the left created to go after Envermectin. Now, remember, they created the lie when Trump said hydrochlorazine was, uh, hydroxychlorazine, Quinn, was an effective treatment. So that, they ruined that when there's lots of proof that that works. But now they've gone over after Invectormin. And here's how they did it. Okay. Notice this headline says, Invermectin, horse hockey virus versus truth. I always use that term, horse hockey. Uh, it's from the MASH. Uh, uh, comedy, uh, you know, uh, TV show from years ago, and the and the colonel there uh, used to call say horse hockey. And what horse hockey is is in the old days, in the winter, they would take cow manure and it would freeze because it's so cold outside, and they'd play hockey with it. That's what horse hockey is. But this this story is really horse hockey because what the left did is they started to use this narrative that you're taking horse medications. You're taking animal, if you take ivermectin, it's not made for humans. That's an outright lie. I'm going to prove it right now. Okay? Shh. The information I'm about to share with you is dangerous and subversive. You cannot publish it on social media platforms without risking scary labels and, uh, and permanent suspensions. You and everyone you discuss this topic with will be called anti-science kooks. Conspiracy theorists are quacks. So be it. I've been called every pejorative name in the globalist elite's overworn handbook of ad hominem attacks over the past 30 years. Who cares? The airwaves have been littered the past month with disparaging reports about Invermectin, which the U.S. Food and Drug Administration warns should not be used to treat or prevent COVID-19. Quote, you are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. The official FDA Twitter account snidely admonished last week. A government agency, we pay with taxpayer money, put that insult on their Twitter account. Well, you're not, you know, you're not a cow, you're not a horse, but you're not sheep either. So don't be cowed by Big Farmer and their bought-off swamp bureaucrats. Seriously, y'all, these are the performative actors who flipped and flopped on mass, rushed and experimental jabs to market, brazenly denied deadly adverse events, and advocated mix-and-match booster shots as part of the most notorious junk science experiment in human history. First things first, the government and corporate media's repeated description of ivermectin in, in the headline after headline as a horse dewormer is pure propaganda. Yes, it is used as an antiparasitic for animals, but ivermectin has been used to treat humans for parasitic infections for more than three decades. 
originally introduced as a veterinary uh, drug, Envermectin sued made historic impacts on human health, improving the nutritional and general health and well-being of billions of people worldwide ever since it was first used to treat uh, onchoricitis, which is called river blindness, in humans in 1988. That's right. Billions of humans around the world have taken ivermectin, approved by the FDA and considered an essential medicine by the World Health Organization under mass distribution programs to eradicate river blindness and other tropical diseases. Invermectin has also been shown to inhibit a broad range of viruses in laboratory studies, including HIV, uh, influenza, West Nile virus, and other RNA viruses. In 2018, more than 130,000 patients in the U.S. were prescribed the drugs. It is a human drug, no matter how many times the mad cows in the media try to fearmonger you into believing otherwise. Okay? You know how else I can prove that? I can prove that because the CDC on their own website says that ivermectin is proper treatment for foreign countries. For South, for African, South American, Middle Eastern countries, they should use ivermectin on their people, but they say you can't get it here. And I had one of our members call me this week and say his daughter got a prescription from his doctor, from her doctor for ivermectin. She went to three pharmacies and they wouldn't fill it. They said, I, I can't, I'm, I, I am prohibited by CDC regulations from uh, giving this to you if you're going to use it for COVID, right? That's how this kills people. This kills them. We're going to show you that. But then here's some good news. Ohio judge orders hospitals to treat ventilated COVID-19 patient with ivermectin. A Butler County judge in Ohio has ordered a hospital to administer ivermectin to a ventilated COVID-19 patient, granting an emergency relief filed by the patient's wife. Let's see. Butler County Common Police Judge Gregory Howard ruled last week that the Westchester Hospital uh, must immediately administer ivermectin to patient Jeffrey Smith following his doctor's prescription of 30 milligrams of ivermectin for 21 days, the Ohio Capital Journal reported. Smith is 51 is a Verizon wireless engineer in Butler County. His wife filed suit when uh, when he, the hospital refused to give him the drug. Smith's condition continued to decline, and he was placed on a ventilator on August 1st. The ventilator was operating at 80% volume, with Smith's chances of survival dropping to less than 30%, the court documents read. At that time, the hospital proclaimed to have exhausted all options. At this point, there's nothing more the defendant can do or will do for my husband, his wife Julia wrote in the affidavit including her complaint. However, I cannot give up on him, even if the defendant has. There is no reason why the defendant cannot approve or authorize other forms of treatment so long as the benefits outweigh the risks. These patients have won lawsuits before from their hospitals to treat them with ivermectin, and you, know, you should fight that fight. So that's a good deal. Now, here's what's making the left's head explode. I told you I only had one video. If you don't know who Joe Rogan is, and many of you may not you know, be a big podcast follower, even though you watch our podcast, Joe Rogan is the king of podcasts. He does a podcast. He has literally a million to two million viewers. He was one of the first guys to start podcasting like 10 years ago. He got COVID. Listen to what he did. It's driving the left crazy. Friends, so I got back from the road Saturday night feeling very weary, I had a headache, and I just felt just run down. And just to be cautious, I separated from my family, slept in a different part of the house, 
and throughout the night I got fevers and sweats and I knew what was going on. So I got up in the morning, got tested, and it turns out I got COVID. So we immediately threw the kitchen sink at it, all kinds of meds, monoclonal antibodies, uh, ivermectin, Z-Pak, uh, prednisone, everything. Uh, and I also got an NAD drip and a vitamin drip, and I did that three days in a row. And so here we are on Wednesday, and I feel great. I really only had one bad day. Sunday sucked, but Monday was better. Tuesday felt better than Monday, and today I feel good. I so there you have it, right? He self-treated. He took ivermectin. He took vitamins, right? And the left is losing their minds. And it's great because this is calling into question. This guy's got tremendous credibility, with particularly with young people, right? And he's not buying the lie. And he took care of himself, and, he, and he's better, okay? Now, we all have to make our own decisions. But let me share this with you because I think this is really, really important, okay? Because people are not understanding that, you know, it's, it is a personal decision. Here's a story. Ohio Nurses Union polls finds 30% would quit hospital over vax mandate. A survey by an Ohio Nurses Union with the University of Cincinnati Medical Center found that almost a third of respondents would quit their jobs if they were officially uh, told they had to take the COVID vaccine, of which the hospital has made a preliminary announcement. There are five major local hospitals in the system. The survey was conducted by the Ohio Nurses Association, had 456 respondents among the nurses, with 136 of them stating they would quit over the vaccine mandate, according to Labor Representative Dominic Mendiola. Mendiola highlighted how sick people care, sick people care in more is made more difficult by staffing shortages in hospitals, adding that USMC already has 30 beds closed due to the lack of staff. This is how you fight back. I talked to you last week about we've got to form unions. If you're at a hospital, if you're at a college and they're making you get a vaccine, if you're at another business, form a union and collectively bargain, okay? But they're not going to do it. They can't afford for 30% of the people to not get this, to get to, to not come to work. They can't afford it. They would shut down. We have economic power. Use it. Use it, okay? All right. Going to move on now to, uh, you know, K-12 mask mandates and all that, you know, Parents, according to the latest poll, parents are divided over the mask mandates. And, and this is a study uh, that was done by Gallup. Among K-12 parents, 48% say all students should be required to wear masks at school, regardless of their vaccination status, which is the current guidance from the Center for Disease Control. And at the same time, 41% say no student should be required to do so. Another 11% of parents believe masks should be only required for unvaccinated students. Okay, so again, you saw the video last week. If you didn't see it, go back to our website. You'll see the video of, uh, of our podcast last week where the expert on masks said they do not work. It is, it is child abuse to make kids wear masks. And yet the CDC is telling schools, and they're using that to hide behind to order kids to wear masks. But here's the important point. They don't have a majority. 48% they should be required to wear masks. 41% said they should not. So guess what? You got to leave it up to the parents. 
That's what you do. It's a matter of self-decision. And we're just not doing it. So keep fighting in your schools. You have choice. It's your children's lives. Make the right decisions. Use the information we're sharing with you in this podcast and our website and other places and make a good decision. Okay? Use the techniques I talked about at the beginning of the show. Stop and listen and replay this and get that information. And then you'll be informed and you'll be able to articulate your position, which is what we must be able to do. Okay? I'm not just trying to give you talking points. I'm trying to give you the facts and information you can use to, to make a decision you want to make. Not I'm not telling you how to think. I'm just giving you information. You're going to decide how you're going to think. Okay, going to start moving along here uh, pretty fast with some other stories as, as we get to the end of the show, but we got a ways to go yet. Last week, I talked to you about how we were looking for the trucker's strike in Australia on the 31st, and it did happen. I did update this story on our website. If you go to our website and see this you know, graphic, Australian truckers pledged to shut down the country on August 31st. They did do that. And, and it had some effect, though, you know, they, they're going to have to do more of it. But what surprised me is I'm researching that story. I come across a story that says U.S. truckers plan nationwide protests against mandatory vaccines uh, on August 31st. On Tuesday, we're asking that everyone not go to work. This truck is shut down officially. And there was a, a, a video of a truck driver saying that we were doing a protest here in the U.S. I knew nothing about it. I couldn't tell you about it. We couldn't participate in it because this is where we get hurt by the left censorship, right? This is where we got some real problems because when they when they you know they don't let us get these stories out, we get in a situation where we can't spread the word. And I'm concerned about that. I am concerned about that because I was asking you, I want to be in touch with truckers. I want to build on this. So if any of you have any connections to the trucking industry, we need to do this. We need to show our economic strength. Like I told you, the elites are just disobeying their own rules. They don't apply to them. I'm Nancy Pelosi, right? I'm uh, I'm Gavin Newsom. Talk about him in a minute. And and so, you know, we'll tell you to wear a mask, but we don't have to wear a mask. But we've got to make them have skin in the game. And the only way to do that is economically. So I was disappointed in in that. It's just... It's just crazy. But here's a good story. Here's a, you know, so I'm glad they did protest, but it wasn't big enough and we got to do more. But here's an example of how we did more. Okay, I love this. After all the dem- dramatics to COVID and COVID spreading, Democrats failed to stop the Texas law for in- election integrity. You got to love this story. Remember how the Democrats in Texas got on a plane uh, with their pack of beer and flew and blah, 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 and, and it said, you know, this is a racist law they're trying to pass in Texas. You love to see it. Democrats tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it didn't even matter because Texas passed its election integrity law, shutting down attempts by the left to give themselves an advantage in a Lone Star state. For a time, the Democrats in the Texas House took center stage as they, quote unquote, bravely ran away from their jobs and broke quorum in order to halt the passage of a bill that would make the state's elections laws safer and more secure and more orderly. Instead of debating and voting like they were elected to do, they hopped on a bus with a case of Miller Lite and super spread their COVID around the nation's capital. Remember, they met with all those congressmen and they got, and those congressmen got COVID? Love it. 
In the end, it was all for naught. According to the Texas Tribune, the drama is officially over as the Bill Democrats attempted to showboat about was sent to Abbott's desk for signing. Three months after they broke quorum uh, to stymie a previous itineration of the legislation, Republicans in the House and Senate of Texas on Tuesday signed off on the final version of Senate Bill 1 to further tighten the state's voting rules and rein in local efforts to widen voting access, supposedly, according to the, the media. But he said, this is all great news for the state of Texas, as its elections will be far less, less rife with fraud and manipulation. But let's be very clear about what this was all really about. It wasn't about election fairness at all. Democrats knew from the get-go that they were going to fail and this bill was going to pass. The goal was to make as big a scene about as about it as possible so they can narrative drive about how the bill is racist, classist, and all about keeping Republicans in power. They needed people to believe that Republicans were really working hard to keep rich white men in power. That's what it was all about. It was a stunt. So while we're glad the new election laws passed because in Houston there was rampant fraud. Okay, there's, there's Democrats testifying to that. Okay, so that's good. But the point is, they still pushed a narrative that the media carried that makes too many people think, quote unquote, this is Jim Crow 2.0. Yeah, the only people who ever had Jim Crow were Democrats, right? That's who the only people who ever did Jim Crow. This is fair elections. For everyone, and that's why the Supreme Court has upheld this stuff. More good news on the election audit front. And we talked about this last week, and it was good. PA Senator Jake Corman gives update on state's election audit. He came on the war room with Steve Bannon to announce the first hearings on election integrity uh, involving the November 3rd election, 2020. The hearing is scheduled for Thursday, September 9th. In addition, Corman announced that Pennsylvania residents could send their own sworn testimony of, testimony of election irregularities to a web portal. So he went on Steve Bannon's show. This is the guy that was holding it up. This is Senate pro tem who was fighting you in Pennsylvania and didn't want to do an audit. Now they're starting on September 9th. That's his Thursday. PA is going to start looking at testimony and doing an audit in those three counties. That's big news, folks. And you got to keep going to our, uh, you know, if you go to our webpage at wepeopleconvention.org, right on the front, there's four buttons. One of them says the latest news on the election fraud. You got to check that like every other day because there's new stories all the time. President Trump gave an interview that was interesting. Um, he, he said that he, you know, President Trump told Breitmar News that all 50 states should ditch their voting machines and return solely to paper ballots, eliminate early voting and institute voter ID requirements. Voter ID is very important, Trump told Breitbart News. Frankly, going to paper ballots is better than anything you can do. I think going to paper ballots would be the best thing if you want to have accurate elections. Countries that do paper ballots, solidly watch paper ballots, those are the ones that work. And stop the mail-in ballots unless it's for military or an overseas or very sick people that just can't vote in person. And they have to have some kind of real excuse. I think paper ballots, same-day voting would be great. Those things have straightened out our elections. He pointed out uh, twenty to various audits around the country, like Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, are important. But he said the establishment media ignoring voter fraud and election issues makes it harder to get this side, his side of the story out. Isn't that the truth? We just talked about that, right? We just talked about that. So he was asked about a recent report on a forthcoming investigation from True to Vote, one such election integrity group. 
that claims it has obtained cell phone GPS ping data from hundreds of alleged ballot traffickers who allegedly went to multiple ballot drop boxes in key cities in a number of these swing states multiple times. Trump said he thinks this is a big deal. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. I know I've heard about, Trump said, about True the Fort's forthcoming investigation. The group says it has obtained surveillance video from ballot drop boxes in Georgia to back up its case, and those videos will be coming out soon, as Breitbart News recently uh, reported. This was the other really big story that came out last Saturday after I posted our podcast that I emailed and texted to you. This is my very good friend, Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Vote. And they came out with a bombshell, folks. This was just amazing. And if you haven't read that story, go to this True the Vote you know, uh, graphic on our webpage and read the story from Breitbart and look at some of the pictures and stuff. But this is what Catherine then put out in, a, in an email. I had no idea she was doing this. We had talked after the election where she was doing some investigations that nobody else was doing. But I was totally impressed with what True the Vote is doing. She's wrote to, to, to people who've donated, and we have donated. We, the People Convention, we have donated to True the Vote. We support this group. You should vote uh, support True the Vote. Boy, and here's why. In late 2020, True the Vote engaged a select team of contractors and set out to determine whether widespread ballot trafficking was occurring as part of an organized criminal enterprise. That's a big challenge. To test our trafficking theory, we acquired over 10 trillion location-based cell phone signals in major metropolitan areas across six states. Initially, we worked with whistleblowers and witness witnesses, but soon enough, the data alone told the tale. Using mobile and GPS data, we mapped the travel patterns of ballot traffickers to ballot drop boxes. Our findings revealed overwhelming evidence of ballot trafficking, some of which is highlighted in the article from Breitbart, but we have much more. All our research, including suspected locations where ballots were delivered, processed, and distributed, along with individual devices associated, have been submitted in the form of a formal complaint, along with all data to the FBI. Yeah, good luck with that. We'll see what happens there. Briefings have been provided to state law enforcement and political leadership in several states. These conversations will continue to broaden in the coming days. We have also acquired over a petabyte, so a terabyte, and then a petabyte is a thousand terabytes uh, of video surveillance data. The quality of this video is inferior overall. Lighting is bad. Cameras are poorly positioned. Timestamps are manipulated. Key time frames are often missing. Nevertheless, we are working video by video using proprietary artificial intelligence-based code we've written to screen the over than over 100,000 clips in our possession. The results. We are successfully finding video evidence that corroborates the digital data and supports the need for a full investigation by law enforcement. So basically what she's doing, you can see, I can hold this up here. This is a map where they basically use cell phones to track individuals going to Dropbox to Dropbox to Dropbox, dropping off ballots. They were ballot harvesting in states where ballot harvesting is illegal. And they know their phone number. They know who they are. And they're giving this to law enforcement. This is unbelievable. This is evidence. This isn't, this isn't, you know, hearsay. This isn't some, you know, formula. This is data of a real person doing illegal activity. 
We can't wait to see how this plays out. And we thank Catherine and True the Vote. We ask you to go to the website and read this story. And then there's a link there to donate to True the Vote to help her with this massive undertaking. I mean, can you imagine this data? What kind of team she has to have put together to process this? This is like NSA, CIA stuff, right? Because remember, the media does this to us. On January 6th, what did you see? You saw the left using the same cell phone data, which anyone can buy. Everywhere you go, commercial interests can buy the cell phone data that tracks where you go every day, okay? And on January 6th, they were using that to go after us and say we were insurrectionists. If you just had your phone on in Washington, the Politico and the lefties were saying, oh, this guy was there, he should be arrested. Catherine Engelbrecht is using the same technology against them. How come it took long, this long, for anybody on our side to use this against them? How come we didn't use this last summer when BLM was burning down our cities? How come we didn't track their phones? Because we're corrupt to the core, but we're fighting back. And this is how we win. Here's another way we win. This article is funny. Now, take in, into account, this was by Politico, who's a total leftist rag. How Steve Bannon convinced Trump's supporters to take over the GOP precinct by precinct. An army, and they said, of conspiracy-minded Trump supporters are moving to influence and run the Republican Party at a local level, at a local level galvanized, at least initially, by none other than former Trump advisor and far-right nationalist Steve Bannon, ProPublica reports. Okay, now ProPublica is the left of the left, okay? In February 2021, Bannon told his podcast listeners of the precinct strategy in which Trump voters could take control of the GOP by flooding into the lowest rung of the party structure, the precincts. ProPublica writes, precinct officers are typically in charge of routine administrative tasks, but collectively can influence how elections are run. In some states, they even have a say in the selection of poll workers and election board members. We're going to take this back village by village, precinct by precinct, said Bannon to his listeners. Since then, according to ProPublica's analysis, GOP leaders in 41 of 65 key counties have reported an unusual increase in precinct officer signups amounting to at least 8,500 new low-level Republican officials. There was no equivalent surge found when analyzing Democratic positions. I've never seen anything like this. People were coming out of the warwork, said J.C. Martin, the GOP chairman of Polk County, Polk County, Florida. Martin said he had added 50 new committee members since January, per ProPrivica. Such a wave is way beyond what they saw during the Tea Party years ago. Okay? Now, I've been in conflict with this because the Tea Party did exactly that years ago. And what we found is the Republican Party is so corrupt that it didn't matter if you were in the party. They cheated anyway, okay? And you know that I've been advocating, and you should read me saying President Trump needs to leave the Republican Party, and why? Because it's not a political party, all right? Either it's a Democratic Party, and he should start a real political party. But it is interesting that you're listening to Steve Bannon, and people are signing up to be precinct captains, okay, in your county uh, Republican Party. What you'll find, unfortunately, is that the, the, the Republican Party in most counties are ignored by the state party because you don't have any money and they can't steal it, okay? 
But it is good for you to get active because if you're in those precinct meetings, you'll learn what's really going on. And even though you won't like it, it'll help you be, better deal with it. Okay. So speaking of what you don't like and deal better with it, I hate to say this, folks, but you know we, we're we're here to talk about the truth. Okay. And well, here's the truth: California's recall election has already been stolen. That's just the truth. Now, I don't want that to be true. I would love to see Larry Elder be the governor of California. Oh, my gosh. Okay? But but here's, I got to read you the truth. And this is not from some lefty publication. This is from American Greatness. It was written by a guy named Dan Gellner. California's group of recall election is officially September 14th. But election day has ceased to have any meaning. Mail-in ballots were automatically sent to every registered voter on August 16th. Return postage is free, free prepaid by California taxpayers. The registration deadline was August 30th, but you can still register to vote conditionally and cast your vote immediately, right up to and including on the 14th. So I have a deadline, but you can just ignore it. Mail ballots do not have to be received by Election Day either. Of course not. You only mail them out a month ahead of time. But why would we make you have to get them in on September 14th? Okay? Uh, ballots received up through September 21st, a week after the election, will still count. Right? So, yeah, no, no, no cheating there. Which gives the people in power plenty of time to correct any mistakes revealed by the initial vote tallying on September 14th. This is what was wrong last November. It was the after vote. No ballot should count that isn't in on election day. Even mail-in ballots, they're giving you a month. If you can't mail it in and get it there, you can't put it in a drop box, it shouldn't count. Why do they do this? Why do they give you a week after election day? So they can cheat. No other reason. Not to make it easy to vote. Not to, you know, because they're not racist. They are racist. Not the Republicans, the Democrats, the leftists. You recall that a drug-addled miscreant was recently apprehended in his car with 300 stolen mail-in ballots. The police found these ballots not due to brilliant detective work, but because someone reported a man passed out in his vehicle. Police are working with officials to ensure that all votes affected by the theft get new ballots. All voters affected by the theft get new ballots. The Times concludes in its story with the line, the incident isn't tied to additional ballot thefts. Yeah, that's right. No chance any other ballots have been tampered with. Okay? I'm going to suggest that this recall election was a test not of Governor Gavin's nuisance popularity, but of democracy in America. That is a test of whether the will of the voters can still have any effect on government. But who are we kidding? You need only look at the rules for this election. A month-long voting window, the automatic mail-in ballots, the length, legality of ballots received a week after election day, plus the little incident of 300 stolen ballots being discovered entirely at random to know that this election has already been rigged. Not to mention, you can print your own ballot. And the unions are printing on the ballots too. You can bet they're printing ballots with the votes already on them. Democracy has already been tested in California and has already failed. We need only wait until September 21st for the official confirmation. This is not an election, folks. This is not an election. This is a Soviet-style election. This is a Saddam Hussein-style election. This is a socialist election where they tell you, oh, you get the vote, but your vote doesn't count, right? I'm sorry, but we need to shine every light we can on California and say we don't want that for America. 
That is exactly what the left wants for America. That's why they're still pitching, pitching the, you know, the, the federal takeover of elections, right? In the House, the House passed it in the middle of the Taliban, you know, takeover of Afghanistan. Nancy Pelosi, who cares about those 13 soldiers are killed? They're, we're going to vote on, on the, the, the absolutely insane and unconstitutional voter bill, okay, that rigs the elections so that we win every time. That's they did. But they don't win every time. And I'm smiling. Look at this baby. State of California and Los Angeles County reach $800,000 settlement with John MacArthur's Grace Community Church. In all the news concerning Afghanistan, a major win in the battle to defend religious liberty against government mandates slipped under the radar. The state of California and Los Angeles County are each paying $400,000 to end litigation by Grace Community Church, alleging that COVID-19 restrictions on in-person worship infringed on its constitutional right to religious freedom. The county board of supervisors approved its share of the settlement on Tuesday, bringing the total of spent on litigation to $1.35 million. The settlement money is coming out of its public health budget. Um, my colleague Alex Parker reported back in July 2020 about Grace Community Church Pastor John MacArthur's defiance of the then statewide mandates on in-person worship. Martha MacArthur came under threats and combination from the faithful and faithless alike. Los Angeles County, well, get this, went to court several times to try to shut him down with limited success, then went beyond imposing fines to shutting out the church. Beyond imposing fines, they shut off the church's water and electricity and finally took steps to cancel their parking leases. That's how onerous this was, okay? That's how bad this was. And, and so they were defended by, uh, the Thomas More Society, another great group you can support. And Jenna Ellis said, we are pleased, very pleased to see Pastor MacArthur and Grace Community Church First Amendment protections fully vindicated in this case. It has been a hard-fought battle to preserve religious liberty, and we hope that all results, that this result will encourage Californians and all Americans to continue to stand firm that church is essential. This is how we fight back. And guess what? They just won. You can win. We are winning. This podcast has all kinds of winning, okay? Because these people are nuts. I, I'll give you another one, a, a great win. Project Veritas, another group that we support, that we donate to. There was this commie, Antifa, Antifa teacher, who was teaching students. He basically said that I'm indoctrinating them to become radicals. And, and the kids caught it on video, gave it to Project Veritas, and oh yeah, guess what happened to him? He got fired. That's awesome, right? That's just plain awesome. So again, we're fighting back and we're winning. So keep it up. Uh, this is just a, a story, again, that just tells you how the left is basically going to get, uh, over time, a friend of mine was talking to me this week and he was saying, do you see how the left is, is in trouble now? Because they're, everything that they used to use to defeat us is defeating them. So when you're talking about COVID and you're saying, my body, my choice, that's what they used to say about abortion. Well, now they can't, they can't defeat your argument because you're using their argument against them. Okay. So it all comes around because it's all nonsense. It's not based on fact. So here's nonsense for you. In California, College students are now officially considered an environmental menace. 
A local judge has ruled that UC Berkeley must freeze its enrollment so it can assess the ecological impact of its over-undergrads. This is from Slate, another lefty publication. Enrolling more students at one of America's best public universities might be bad for the environment. That's the conclusion of California Superior Court Judge Brad Siegelman, who on August 23rd ordered the University of California, Berkeley, to temporarily, temporarily freeze the number of students it admits every year under the California Environmental Quality Act, putting crowded classrooms in the same category as heavy infrastructure like highways and airports. Further increases in student enrollment above the current enrollment level at UC Berkeley could result in an adverse change or alteration of physical environment, the judge wrote. Wow. It's the latest and most explicit example of California's famously stringent environmental law being used for population control. Instead of governing the construction of dams or smokestacks, it frequently leverages leveraged by anti-development groups of California to oppose apartment buildings, homeless shelters, bus lanes, among other things. Now it's being employed to micromanage university admissions. Why? For the property owners who live around the campus. That's the only reason. They're using this law against themselves, against the liberal colleges now. See how it comes around? Fools. Good. Suffer with that. Now, this is a story I got to mention because I feel bad about this story. I feel good that this happened. Republican Representative Matt Gates was exonerated. A Florida developer was charged with extortion. I think it was a tragedy. And this is what the left does. They make allegations against anyone. Matt Gates was the strongest Trump supporter of anybody. Now, Major Marjorie Taylor Greene has come along, and they're working together. But Matt Gates was on Fox, was on One American News, was on Newsmax, was in print, was out in person, going state to state, fighting for Trump. Like Bill O'Reilly, like Glenn Beck, like everybody else, they had to get him. So they came out with this insane sex trafficking charge and it wasn't true but you know what fox news stopped having him on tucker carlson had him on the night that he was accused he had the guts to come on tucker carlson's show i totally uh, deny this accusation and i will be proven true and i hope tucker carlson starts to bring him back on but this is this is what they do and i want you to have it clear in your head what happened here so let me read this Congressman Matt Gates, Republican from Florida, has been exonerated, and the Department of Justice's sex trafficking investigation has been shut down as the man who made the false allegations is now behind bars. Florida developer and convicted fraud Stephen Alford faced a judge on Tuesday after he was indicted for extortion. According to a new unsealed indictment, the 60-year-old spread lies about Gates as part of a complex scheme to defraud Gates' father of $25 million. Alfred is alleged to have been involved in a scheme to obtain money based upon false promises or guarantees he made to the victim that Alfred could deliver a presidential pardon for a family member of the victim, said the Justice Department in a statement. Gates has adamantly denied the sexual misconduct allegations and called Alfred's crime a pile of laws. I've been proven right, said uh, Gates. They tried to extort me on a pile of lies. Alfred wasn't acting alone. He had help from people with strong ties to the federal government, like the FBI and the DOJ. There is much more to this attempt to destroy me, is what he said. Okay? This is what's wrong with our country. That's disgusting. Now, he fought and won because his, his father's very wealthy, and they had the money to fight back. Other congressmen would have just resigned. 
I'm glad Matt Gates didn't resign. I hope you will support Matt Gates. Call his office and thank him for what he's done and for standing strong. But no, and tell everyone you know that those were lies they made up against him. He's an innocent man that was slandered. And yeah, interesting how the media just picked it up and ran with it. Every media outlet, no evidence, no evidence, just slurred them. I hope he sues CNN and MSLSD and the rest of them. I hope he sues them. Okay. I'm going to close uh, you know, with a couple more things. Uh, you know, we, we haven't talked about the border this week, okay? But uh, I want you to know that the Texas Senate passed $1.8 billion in funding for border walls in Texas on Friday. The bill will allow Governor Abbott to build more than 700 miles of border wall. The bill, House Bill 9, was passed by a 23-8 to 8 vote after numerous charges, uh, changes were made from the House version. It's now heading to the governor's desk for signing. A majority of $1.8 billion will go towards the border wall and fencing, and the Texas National Guard will carry out the project. That's just awesome. That's awesome. So there is, there is stuff, but this is a distraction. No one's talking about the border, are they? No one's talking about it because the distraction of Afghanistan. Be careful, you know, and that's why I'm so happy about Joe Manchin coming out and saying, hey, I'm not for this $3.5 because while Afghanistan's going on, Nancy Pelosi's jamming this leftist stuff down our throats. Stand up, Republicans. Call your Republican senators and congressmen. So now I want to take a minute to tell you about a, a group that I was not that familiar with, but I want you to be familiar with. Got an email, or not an email, I got a letter from this group called the National Center for Public Policy Research. And I'm very impressed with this group. Its, it's president is David Reidenauer. They're out of D.C. And, um, and we just donated some money to them. I want you to know that some of your donations, I, we donate to them because what they're doing, I think, is really important. Here's what they're doing. We're, uh, this is an example of what they're doing. What they basically do is they do what the left has done in woke corporations, but they do it for us. So they're fighting the woke boards of corporations. They're fighting the leftist companies that are funding BLM and stuff. And this is an example of that. We're compelled, uh, we're compelled left-leaning corporations to add conservatives to their boards. It's no secret that corporate boards have long been dominated by liberals. That is why so many companies support such economically ruinous policies as climate change regulation and the Green New Deal. The National Center for Free Enterprise Project is aimed to challenge all that. We are doing so by taking a page out of the left's corporate playbook and using it as a model for our own effort which we will call our True Diversity Project. The Securities and Exchange Commission has already approved the leftist model and in doing so established a precedent that diversity leads to better corporate governance, right? So the left went to the SEC under Obama and said, we need these boards to have trans and gays and, and you know, everybody you know, possible, regardless of their qualifications, because diversity, you know, it, it, it makes us uh, better corporate governance. So what did this group do, right? They said, we argued, or the Securities and Exchange Commission has already approved the leftist model and in doing so established the precedent. We argued that if the ethnic and gender diversity leads to better corporate governance, then ideological diversity would lead to even better corporate governance. Get that, right? 
Corporate boards with broad ideological mixes, after all, are less inclined to launch political crusades that alienate substantial segments of their customer base. They're also less likely to advocate for greater government intervention into the economy, which can raise regulatory costs and taxes and decrease profits. Some of the most liberal corporations, including Apple, Starbucks, Salesforce, and Discovery, fought to block our shareholder resolutions from their proxy materials and votes of shareholders. But the SEC ruled against all of them, allowing their shareholders to vote on whether their boards should be more ideologically diverse and therefore more conservative. Getting the SEC approval was no easy feat. The SEC is dominated by liberal activists who certainly do not wish to greenlight our proposal. But having already established the president that diversity is good, the SEC had no choice. See the writing on the wall? Other corporations have since voluntarily agreed to seek ideological diversity on their boards. We outmaneuvered the big government leftists, and we did it using a club they developed. Even the left-wing press couldn't find a good reason to oppose our resolution. As CNN report, for example, noted that political diverse boards may help firms better perform than ones that are ideologically aligned. And IR Magazine, a magazine for investor relations professionals, suggested if you believe if you believe diversity is a good thing, it's difficult to say, well, I really support diversity, but not that kind of ideological political diversity. This is big. Since debating our True Diversity Project in 2019, Nine corporations, Walmart, Pepsi, CVS, Gap, Facebook, Prudential, Wells Fargo, J.P. Uh, Morgan, and Walgreens have agreed to seek ideological balance when selecting new board members. That's real impact. Man, that is real, in real impact. This group, we need to support them. Okay? The National Center... Uh, is is really a, a group that I had not heard of before, but I'm excited about it. Uh, they're the National Center for Public Policy Research, and I will put this on our show notes, and there'll be a link to their to their uh, website so you can donate and support them. But here's the best part: you know how on our uh, Stop Critical Race Theory page, if you go to We the People Convention to our main page, you'll see the buttons, and one of them says "Stop the indoctrination in your schools," and in that page. We've basically created a toolkit for you, for activists, to fight critical race theory in their schools. So there's a sample FOIA document. There's articles that explain how to fight back. There's steps you can take. So I talked to the president of the of this organization, David uh, Ridenauer, uh, on Friday, and we talked about creating a toolkit for you. See, many, many, many of you who are watching this podcast have investments in, in big companies. You you may not know it because you have a mutual fund and somebody's managing your money, but all those investments, you are a shareholder, okay? So guess what? What if we provide you with letters that you can send to shareholders to every company that your retirement fund is invested in demanding that they diversify their board and their administration ideologically that would be very powerful and so he said yes we're going to work on that and we're going to do uh, some videos and things like that but this group needs a lot of our support they've been doing this for like 10 years and no one knew about them 
They've been fighting pretty much on their own. So I, I wanted to introduce you to them, and I want you to support them. But I really like when they're going to give us a toolkit so that we can be activists, okay? That we can go and start to fight in the boardroom and end this insanity. I, I said to someone this week, I said, it's real simple. Either you're going to mind your own business, literally, or you don't want my business. That's the message for all of us to send to every corporation we do business with. This leftist constructed idea that you have a moral and corporate responsibility to interfere in our, in our political affairs of your customers and employees, that's bullcrap. Your job, if you are a business, and I own businesses, okay? We've been in business for 42 years. My job is to make a product that I can sell to my customers, that they benefit from and are willing to pay for, that costs more than what I tried to spend to build it. My job is to take care of my employees. My job is to make money for my shareholders, for my employees, and for myself. It isn't to interfere with your politics. We've got to stop this. This is how we stop it. This group is stopping it. Get mind your own business, damn it. You are my you aren't my mama. You don't need to babysit me. You don't need to tell me about the environment or about you know immigration or about foreign policy or about politics. Your job is to sell me gasoline. Your job is to make my phone. Your job is to provide me services. We got to get back to that. The left hijacked corporations because they knew, they knew that corporations were standing in their way. And so they did this just deceitful, devious plan to destroy the boards. And they did it through this SEC and through the st stockholder meetings. And they forced corporations into this. But we can fight back. They, with what? Their own weapon. Diversity makes us stronger, okay? Yeah, we want ideological diversity because it hurts my stock. It hurts your shareholders if you do stupid stuff that ruins our business. How about if we apply this in universities? I'm going to talk to our state senators about diversity on our college campuses. How about if we have quotas for conservative faculty. You like that idea? I like that idea. I think this is where it's going. This is how we fight back. Use their narratives against them. Be smart. This guy's smart. We sent him a check for over $1,000, okay? And we're going to give him more. And I want you to donate too if you can, okay? This is really a good group. And I really like their president. I think we're going to be able to work with them in the long term. All right. So I'm going to wrap it up. You know, we haven't talked about our barn billboard program because we're waiting for the Arizona results. You know where to find it. You know, keep sending me billboard locations around the country. It's really important. Okay. We, you know, when Arizona comes out or when True the Vote comes out and they have, you know, actual evidence, we're going to be able to put our billboard out. You know, that basically says the audits prove Trump won. Biden and Harris are illegitimate. You will not steal our votes. We will fix the fraud 
and vote you out. And we are fixing the fraud and we are going to vote them out. And they may, and they may be out sooner than we think. Okay. The way things are going because the, the Joe Biden is, is really falling apart. So let's see, you know, let's just take care of our business. Let's do what we know is right for us. Let's defend our country, defend our personal liberty, freedom, and prosperity, right? You know, let's, let's make sure that our companies that we own stock in don't do stupid things. Let's make sure our schools don't make our kids wear masks. Let's make sure they don't take our jobs. Those are the things we're going to do this week. I really appreciate you listening and watching. Uh, I hope you'll use the tactics that I, I showed you in, you know, in that video. Go watch that video on our website about how to remember what you take in and learn from them. I think that's really important. Uh, I've gotten a ton of emails and, and letters and videos and stuff from you guys. Uh, so if you want to send me information, send it to info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Just info at wethepeopleconvention.org. If I said something wrong, let me know. Uh, the links to all of our uh, the stories that I've covered are going to be on the website with the podcast. So use the techniques. Watch the podcast in chunks. Go back and review the stories that mean something to you. Put it in long-term memory. Don't just get distracted. You know, put it in long-term memory and be able to articulate the case. Have the facts when you talk to somebody about what happened in Iraq, why that was wrong, that Joe Biden actually lied and told the president of Iraq, of, of Afghanistan, to lie. Okay? Make sure you, you understand the facts so when you tell people things, you can, you can articulate them well. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Happy Labor Day weekend. Enjoy college football. Celebrate that institution because it's so important to who we are as a people, okay? It's, it's where men learn to be men playing sports, and women learn to be strong women playing sports, and men shouldn't be competing against women. So celebrate well, you know, watching college sports this weekend. Really appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you again next week. My name is Tom Zawistowski, and this is the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast.